I think the most important message people can hear today is the time to be checked is when you're feeling fine. As a patient, I would prefer go in, do it once. If you find any little polyps or anything worse, we can move on it right away. Welcome to Believe in Progress, the American Association for Cancer Research Foundation podcast. Join us and be inspired by the incredible stories of those who have faced cancer with strength and resilience and the medical professionals who are working tirelessly to find new treatments and ultimately a cure. Believe in Progress isn't just about the science of cancer. It's about the human side of this disease. Together, we can make progress in the fight against cancer and bring hope to those who need it most. Welcome to the Believe in Progress podcast featuring Dr. Marianne Ritchie, who was one of the first women to practice gastroenterology in the Philadelphia region and has been a pioneer in the field for over 30 years. She trained at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, the world's oldest and foremost all-cancer hospital. After time in New York, Dr. Ritchie returned home to practice at the Lankanaw Hospital in Wynwood and was later a faculty member at Temple University Hospital. Dr. Ritchie was one of the first female gastroenterologists practicing in the Philadelphia area. She has been a leading advocate for over 30 years. Ritchie developed the Pink Plus Triple Cancer Screening Program for women, and she also launched the Blue Lights Campaign for Colon Cancer Awareness. Dr. Ritchie is also featured as the medical contributor on Women to Watch Media, a weekly talk show on WPHT, which highlights stories of women leaders from around the world. She's also a member of national and international medical societies, a board member of the Colorectal Cancer Alliance, and a recognized author and public speaker. Join us as we explore the inspiring stories of patients, survivors, and researchers who are making a difference in the fight against cancer. This is the Believe in Progress podcast, hosted by the AACR Foundation and featuring Dr. Marianne Ritchie. As a reminder to our listeners, before we start our discussion, I'm going to ask those of you who are listening to this episode or watching this episode in our YouTube channel to please consider subscribing to our podcast, sharing this episode with a friend, and heading over to our website, aacr.org, to consider making a donation. You know, when you donate to the American Association for Cancer Research, your investment in life-saving research propels the important work of the more than 54,000 members of the AACR in driving progress against cancer. You can support life-saving cancer research with any donation you make today. So please, please consider making a donation. Dr. Ritchie, welcome again. Um, you have such a, a wonderful career. I, I would love to start back in the beginning and uh, really kind of get a sense of what motivated you to uh, start a career in medicine. Well, again, thanks for having me, Mitch. I look back and can't believe so much time has passed, but I, um, I think I was just happened to be born in the right year because my life, as I look back, was just a series of fortunate circumstances. I um, went to college. <laughs> I went to an all-girls high school, and I, I see the Final Four on your door here. I'm, I'm a basketball fan. Me too. So me I too. had to go to a Big Five school. What, what team? Look at me. St. Joe. I'm a hawk, bro. <laughs> okay. I'm a hawk at. All right. <laughs> Love but, it. But um, the, all the Catholic boys' colleges went co-ed right before I started. So I went to Hawk Hill the third year they took girls, six boys to one girl, 
It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then I attended Jefferson, which was the last medical school in the country to take women. Mm. The odds were still wonderful. And um, so I say that because when I decided to enter gastroenterology, I believe I was the first woman to train in New York City. And when I came home, there was one woman at Jeff, one at Hahnemann who were um, in GI, but they were administrators and teachers and such. I believe I was the first woman, uh, GI Josephine, as I'm called, uh, to open a private practice and be round the wow. clock full time. So it was an awesome time to come back because um, colorectal cancer was still a whisper. People weren't aware, they didn't want to be aware, but um, Anyway, um, why, why cancer research? I'm, I'm, first of all, I, I applaud you in being such a wonderful pioneer. I'm, oh, I'm, not I'm, intentional. I'm, it just happened well, that way. But still, you're a pioneer. Uh, why cancer research? Was there a reason that you decided to go in that direction? Well, I, I graduated Jeff, stayed in Philadelphia at Lankanaw Hospital for internal medicine. And I was really influenced by one mentor named Dr. Franz Goldstein from Germany, lost his entire family in World War II, and came here and really changed the GI world. And he was, I was a, you know, he was a teacher when I was a resident, actually as a student as well. And I was so moved by the way he interacted with patients. I said, when I grow up, I wanna be just like him. So that's how I chose GI. And then I, met, I trained in my fellowship at Memorial Sloan Kettering. That's right, MSK. And I had no idea how fantastic that experience would be. I trained with the true maven of colon polyps and colorectal cancer, Dr. Sid Winnower, who was the mastermind behind the National Polyp Study. So for our listeners, in brief, that was a study that uh, lasted for a few decades. And the original question was, which is more accurate at finding precancer? I mean, we're going to talk about all these good things, but screening, the whole point of screening is to find precancer and remove it or find early at a cancer, uh, sorry, find cancer at an earlier stage when it's uh, more likely to cure. Right. Um, and so the beginning question was, which is more accurate, barium the really fun x-ray, or colonoscopy? The first colonoscopy performed in the States was 1969, 1970, I think at Mount Sinai in really? New York. The first one, Sloan Kettering, was a few years later. How long would you guess that it took to complete one look in the colon? As far as like the actual colonoscopy? Uh, I mean, that's an unfair question, but. Uh, hard for me to say, an hour? Exactly. Yeah. Um, multiply by four, four hours and 26 minutes in a room filled with surgeons and GI doctors and anesthesia, just in case you know, we're putting a tube into a dark place. Right. What and is it today now? What's the timing on it? An average is about 21 minutes, although uh -huh. I like to spend a little bit longer just because I don't want to miss one tiny lesion. You'll be proud of me. I just scheduled my colonoscopy appointment, which is coming up in June. Oh, yeah. So, doing good. Well, you know what? Call me the day before. I'll drink the prep <laughs> with you. We will, we will, will clink glasses will and say that. cheers. <laughs> You know, that's been the one of the biggest barriers. We talk about barriers to screening. Yes. But it's just been fascinating for me to come back to Philadelphia. I was so blessed to be hired by Dr. Franz Goldstein, who would think that my 
um, my idol would, and I thought he was so brilliant. Then he hired me. I thought, well, he can't be too smart. But anyway, <laughs> we worked together for, for many years. And um, as I say, I was the only woman. So women would come to me. People came to me. But I think women came to me because I was a woman doctor, um, which... They felt more comfortable. I guess, yeah. um, which is interesting. Again, that's a barrier for women to have colonoscopy because they want a woman and yet they'll go to men for OBGYN care. So mm. whatever. I was flattered, but I like to think they came to me because they heard and knew what I was doing. Right. But um, through those years, um, we watched people accept colonoscopy a little bit more. And that obviously is not the only way to screen for colorectal cancer. We can talk about that a little bit. But um, I continued to build a, a really great practice. And then my dad, uh, actually my mother, died suddenly. She died a few weeks after a diagnosis of breast cancer was made. And um, she just vanished. Very, very hard to uh, accept. In fact, it was uh, her anniversary is next week, 30 years. Mm. Um, so as my dad aged and started a slow decline with dementia, I said, that's it. Family first. I love being a physician. Love it, love it. I feel so blessed to have, to have had the opportunity. But my number one is being a mother and my family. Nobody else on the planet takes the place of mama right. to my three children. Very good. And so my parents had done so, my parents would have eaten food for me if they could have made my life easier. So when my dad started to slide, I said, my place is at home. Mm -hmm. So I left my practice, stayed home for a few years. And when he passed away, I was invited to be faculty at Temple, which was another fantastic experience to be in one place for several years is great, you build, but to taste another item on the menu is really enriching too. And why is that? Is it like just change of culture, uh, new new learning, new attitudes, things like that? All the above, mm. a different demographic. Um, and yet, Lagunaw is on the border of city and suburbs, so that was a great mix of patients mm -hmm. and pathology. Mm -hmm. I came to Temple, loved it instantly, and stayed for about five years until I was invited to be faculty at Jefferson, which was like coming home. And um, that was a bench of very deep talent, Jefferson, or still is, of uh, really smart collegiality, every positive uh, word I could think of, a lot of research, uh, the Sidney Kimmel Cancer Center, of course, you're aware. And um, again, so many talented and good people with with yeah, good intentions. Phenomenal cancer center. Yes. Um, we, we love working with uh, with our friends at Sydney Kimmel Cancer here at, at Thomas Jefferson. Um, could you tell the audience a little bit about why it's so important to get screens, screening colonoscopies? Well, whenever we talk about any disease condition, the earlier we diagnose it, the earlier we intervene, hopefully. I mean, there are some neurologic conditions that are unstoppable. And, but when we talk about cancer, you and I both know the earlier we find it um, and begin treatment, we arrest the production line. Mm -hmm. You don't want it to spread even microscopically. And that's what's so frightening. When a, a patient has a breast tumor or a colon tumor and the surgery looks like it removes it all, we find the real answer when we check the lymph nodes and see if it has spread there and then treatment is decided on those um, pathology results. But 
I think the most important message people can hear today is the time to be checked is when you're feeling fine. The whole purpose of screening is to say, all right, here are the trends we've noticed. If you live in America, we're going to see a jump in colon cancer at age 45, or excuse me, at age 50. So for many years, we started screening at age 50. Right. When I was training in the 80s, we were doing uh, stool tests to look for hidden blood on everybody once a year at age 40, and then colonoscopy recommended at age 50. The problem with these stool tests back in the day, so I want our listeners to envision a tunnel, and maybe there's a car stuck in, uh, you know, on the side of lane three, mm -hmm. and as the tunnel gets tighter, um, you only have two lanes if that car is stuck there or if there's a traffic jam. So a stool passes through the tunnel, known as your colon, and there's a bump on the wall, and the stool brushes past it. The food for cancer is blood. So as a tumor, you know, as a polyp, it's just a benign growth, gets larger, it needs bl more blood supply to do its thing, mm -hmm. and it starts to trickle blood. And we hope that stool passes by, picks up the, the blood, maybe not enough to see on the toilet tissue when you use the bathroom, mm -hmm. but when we test for hidden blood, that makes us say, hmm, we have to go on a search and destroy mission. The problem with the early stool tests was that they were so sensitive that they would pick up blood from animal uh, meat. I, I had a rare hamburger yesterday. Uh -huh. So do we wanna put somebody through colonoscopy with its risks if it's not necessary? No. Well, we've come a long way. And the newer stool tests eliminate animal blood um, and only check for blood from the waist down. So if you've had a nosebleed or if you're on daily baby aspirin and you have a little uh, trickle from your stomach lining, it's much more specific, which is good. Are, are the newer stool tests ones that um, are commonplace for our listeners? Or, yes. yes, yes. The current stool tests are include two. One is called the FIT test, and you don't have to remember that, except that it'll keep you fit if you get rid of those polyps and colon cancer. FIT stands for a fecal, immunochemical testing. So we use a chemical to test the stool sample to look for the hidden blood. The other more Star Wars-y test is the dancing box on TV. Yes. And as soon as people hear DNA, they think, Eureka, this is the man. This is the test that's gonna clear me and I don't have to hold my nose, drink the goo, and have the scope test. Well, it is a good test, and as we say, any screening test, that the one that gets done is better than none. Mm -hmm. DNA plus blood test, if it comes back positive, we don't know whether it's the DNA or the blood. It picks up 92% of cancers, about 92%. It misses more than 50% of polyps. And our concern is a polyp is a small growth in the lining of the colon. Mm -hmm which most of the time is benign. Not all polyps turn to cancer, but all cancer starts as a polyp. So no polyp is my friend. And we pick up the polyps in a colonoscopy, right? Yes. Okay. And, and that's a great question too, because the other kind of fashion forward test that came along some years ago was CAT scan or CT colonography. And when I was in training, CAT scans could not pick up lesions smaller than a centimeter. That's pretty big, especially in cancer language. Now it picks up salt and pepper from yesterday's lunch. Wow. It's so wow. much more sensitive. That said, it can pick up polyps, but don't think that gives you a pass. 
Because if you do the CAT scan version and we find polyps, we have to go in with the scope anyway. So you've put yourself through two, perhaps two tests. People were leading towards CT colonography some time ago when it first became available because they thought, gee, I don't want the scope. It will, there's a chance of perforation. The chance for a tear in your bowel with a scope is about one in a thousand. And I'm sure it's much less these days because we've all become more skilled and more careful. Mm -hmm. There's still a risk of perforation with the CT version because a lot of air is used to insufflate the bowel and it's one in 1700. So for my effort as a patient, I would prefer go in, do it once. If you find any little polyps or anything worse, we can move on it right away. I see. Um, I have to tell you that I am really blessed to be um, surrounded by uh, a very um, inspirational leader, Dr. Margaret Foti, and I think she's been a pioneer in the nonprofit world, uh, a real great leader in the cancer world. And again, I, I think you are a pioneer. And, and the question I have for you is, was it tough for you being a woman breaking into, you said you were like the first person perhaps to be at Jefferson and even at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering. We have a program at ACR called Women, it's Wicker, Women's in, Women in Cancer Research. It's about promoting the workforce. It's about mentoring one another. And so uh, my question for you is again, uh, can take us back. I mean, was it really challenging for you? And, 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 and or did, was it not that challenging, you know, when you were moving up? I have to say, maybe because I am over, an overly happy person, <laughs> I, I have three children and now four grandchildren. The grandchildren are a little young to take this from me, but having gone to St. Joe's, we, we were required to take three philosophy courses. And the things that always have stuck with me are know thyself and nothing to excess which is another way of saying life is a balance, but know thyself. And I've been on leadership panels and people say, well, you know, Howard, what would you say to somebody who wants to be a leader? I say, A, know thyself, know what your strong points are. As Frank Rizzo would say, strengthen your strong points, forget about the weak points. No, we don't do that, but <laughs> <laughs> know yourself. And when I, when I got to St. Joe's, I was so happy to be there. The science department was fantastic. I didn't stop to say, he got a bigger piece of paper and I didn't. I just put my nose down and did my work and made friends. And because the bio department, my year, 151 bio majors, five were girls. The rest were boy type people. It was awesome. Right. And, um, <laughs> and uh, the GI, I was welcomed with open arms at Jefferson. I was always treated well. Um, and the same with Memorial. I mean, my mentors, I still call Dr. Winnerer. Dr. Bob Kurtz, Moshe Scheich. I mean, they were like big brothers to me. That's awesome. Uh, any advice to uh, young scientists out there, um, specifically women scientists that are coming up the ladder? Yes. I would say, as I tell my own children, always ask. If you get a no, you've lost nothing. I have done projects that took a lot of scraping paint off doors to get people to listen. I attribute any success to being number four, the youngest of four sisters. Because the dinner table, my father would sat there, my th three sisters were across the table, and my mother sat here. And my mother would turn to me, the baby, and say, how was your day, honey? I'd say, well, and one of the other three sisters would start talking. So my mother's left arm was black and blue for me saying, but mom. <laughs> so to my different chiefs, I'd say, 
if I don't have your attention, you know I'll be back, and I'm going to make your arm black and blue. So persistence. Whether you're a man or a woman, working in medicine is hard because it's tedious. If you're really good at your profession, you dot your I's, cross your T's. I'm not so sure AI is a good thing. Electronic records have come along. You still have to think critical thinking. <laughs> I'm going off on so many tangents here because no, I, I love it. there are a lot of squirrels chasing a lot of carrots. But um, <laughs> what I've seen is that that little cell phone that we all carry around yes. can be helpful. We worry about social media as a distraction. But I think there's a bigger problem. I really have come to believe whether people use Google as their doctor or for their recipes or whatever it is, most of us have become spoiled. No delay in gratification. I want it now. I'm going to order that dress or be on my doorstep tomorrow. I want that meal at my door in an hour. I want my cancer fixed right now. Or I don't want colonoscopy because I read on the internet that the DNA test is, is really great. What listeners need to know about that, if, if it misses your colon cancer, if you're one of the 8%, in which case that is missed. Mm -hmm. The test is a little more expensive. It's about $650, sometimes covered by insurance, sometimes not. So if a cancer is missed today, it has three years to build shopping malls and condos. You can only get that every three years. So people need to know that. Also, if that DNA slash blood in stool test is positive, you're committed to colonoscopy. I see. I see. Of uh, four grandchildren, what, what what are their ages? I'm I'm a grandparent, so I know. oh, they are just delicious. I really I beg my children to let them live with me. Um, <laughs> I just had a four day visit from Tommy Boy. He's four, and his little sister Teresa. We call her Reese Cup. Everett is two, named after my father's my husband's father, and we have a little three week old granddaughter named Grace ah, Patricia Mary. Can, after her, congratulations! Two. So yeah. nice, so nice. Not, nothing like being a grandparent, oh my right? Gosh. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about the um, the Pink Plus program that you you developed uh, a, a few years ago, and uh, if you could tell our audience a little bit about the benefits of that and what it's all about. Very briefly, I came back to Lankanaw, and as I say, I was the only woman for miles, and all the gynecologists would send their patients to me, if a woman had belly pain and it wasn't GYN in origin, they'd say, go see Marianne, and I'd evaluate them. And I had this great give and take. So when I came back to Jefferson and saw the Sterling Breast Center, really well run, very inviting, uh, I, the light went on and I said, women have long thought that colorectal cancer is a man's disease. Why? Because we already take time from the mammogram and GYN exams. And many women, many people say, I feel fine from the waist down, we're good to go, it can wait another year. So I realized that if we capture the bees with honey, hey, while you're here for mammogram, the pink part, let's add, let's plus it. I would bring a gynecologist with me and I would come along and we had four exam, exam rooms right off the mammography in the breast center. Woman would have a mammogram, be in a gown, come through the door, go into an exam room, have her GYN exam, and then I would come in, do a quick exam, make sure they weren't on blood thinners or any you know other details we had to uh, consider, and discuss the different choices. Stool testing, um, 
colonoscopy, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And that one-stop shopping, Mitch, at the time when I started seeing patients in 2012, my friends at Independence Blue Cross told me that the screening rates for colorectal cancer in Philadelphia were some of the lowest in the country. Mm. 44% of people were being screened in 2012. Mm. It was probably in the 30s, 30% range or lower uh, at the turn of the century. So I said, let's do a pilot. And I did it with just Jeff employees because they're right there right. and all the same, no insurance question or anything like that. And um, we showed that we were able to examine the 13 people who arrived in two and a half hours, all three exams. And one of the- Extremely one, efficient and, yeah. and wonderful way to do three that. tests. You're undressed once, you're, it's a great program for the underserved, and we talk about disparities in healthcare. Yes. If, if women can come to a place one time and save money on transportation and childcare and time out of work, and even for busy women who do have a paycheck and education and support, guess what? They're the ones they're taking that are doing a job, going home, taking care of children, elderly parents, and say huge benefit. So the pilot I did, mm -hmm. I had a 57-year-old woman who hadn't had a GYN exam since her 22-year-old was born, and she was an executive hmm. at Jeff. Okay. And hadn't had a mammogram for five or six years, and never had colonoscopy by age 57. So I was capturing people who were desperate for the convenience. Um, so in 2018, I published a paper, and of the people I had seen, 77% return for colonoscopy. And I should That's have awesome. persisted with the people who didn't have colonoscopy with stool tests, and I would have easily surpassed. The goal that year was 80% by 18, if you remember. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I wasn't in it for the marketing. I was in it to capture people and save lives. And we found some really um, uh, impressive lesions in people. So and I, does that program continue today? Well, enter COVID, ah. um, and um, and Jefferson has expanded, which yep. is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Our footprint is much larger, and electronic records. So there were three changes that were pivotal because I was pretty much doing it by paper. Mm -hmm. People would call, and we had a little star next to somebody who was coming from Mamo Plus, pink, for Pig Plus. The other quick thing I should mention is, for women who said, I'm up to date with GYN, can I do a double screening and get Mamo GI? And I said, absolutely. That was probably the more popular choice. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, we had to put it into, it was federally mandated that we all go electronic right. by I think October 2012. Right. So we had to then put it into the system and blending three different um, departments and all that. So we, we got that done and um, wanna get it started again in the near future because the other thing, the American Cancer Society tells us that between March, the original shutdown in March of 2020, and June alone, that's you know barely three and a half months, 18,000 cases of colorectal cancer were missed or delayed in the U.S. Let's add another three years right. to that. The Tragic. backlog is, it makes me sweaty. Right. Um, you also pioneered a statewide program, uh, Blue Lights, right? And again, a little more about colorectal awareness, I think. Could you, could you explain a little bit about that program for us? Yes, Thank I you. started today earlier that women often, women see the doctor more often than men, Yes, but men were better at getting colorectal cancer screening because 
we said women already take time to do MAMO and GYN. The pink campaigns have been fantastic. If you were to guess what year they started and look back, when would you think the whole idea of pink started? Guess. Well, well I'm going to say probably sometime in the 80s or 90s. Exactly. Yeah. 1982 was when Susan G. Komen's sister started right. the... And they've done fantastic work. They have driven so many women to right. mammography. Again, that's drifted down with COVID as well. Yes. But the pink campaigns indirectly have made women think mammogram and done. Mm. In fact, that's what I would put on my flyer. Your cancer care, your cancer prevention plan is more than just a mammogram. The whole Magilla, because that's guess what? That's a very important message to send yes. out there. Because guess what, girlfriends? Colorectal cancer is just about equal in men and women. Women seem to get it at a later point in life, at a later age, but we live longer. So entire lifespan risk is pretty much equal in men and women. It's all in the American Cancer Society mm -hmm. literature, which people can visit cancer.org, fantastic website. Um, and, and that's what AACR is building this library of podcasts to educate people as well. Absolutely, absolutely mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that, that's fantastic. Now, you, you also do something that's really cool that I've, I've had the opportunity to listen to some of these uh, uh, radio shows. You've been doing that for a while. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the radio show you do? And, oh, thanks. And all the different uh, topics that you, you're, you're willing to cover? Sure. I want to just revisit. So with the pink campaigns, I said, blue ya. I called Philadelphia Electric Company. I love them. Yeah. And I said, could we put up, and this is one of those times when you, if I get a no, I've lost nothing. <laughs> Would you kindly put a message? Sure, what do you want, Dr. Ritchie? Colonoscopy saves lives. It was way too easy. So then I contacted every building, One Liberty, Two Liberty, Boathouse Row, Ben Franklin Bridge, you name it, the first week in March, the entire city, you walk outside, you will be wrapped in blue. The Philadelphia Inquirer, I don't want to miss any of my friends, Franklin Institute. That's awesome. I love no, you I love all. it. love it. The Parktown Apartments, Sierra, FMC, to do a little light show for me with um, <laughs> dancing blue ribbons. Because I want people to feel the urgency of the message. Why do I just spend hours of energy and time encouraging people to get screened? Not because it's my field, but if you look at the, the most common common cancers, Breast is the most common in women after skin. Skin's number one. Right. But what is the cancer that costs most lives? Lung cancer. Lung cancer, we're just learning how to screen carefully for it. But even right. still, can we casket everybody or x-ray everybody once a year? That's x-ray exposure bumps your risk. Mm -hmm. The number two, my favorite number is a GI doctor, number two cause for cancer death is colorectal. People don't know that. Mm -hmm. That's the other push for... So hear the message, get wrapped in blue. Any screening test is better than not doing one. As I mentioned earlier, Hawk Hill invited women to join in 1970. So I started- Is Hawk Hill what they call where the school sits? St. Joe's? Uh, yes. Okay, all right, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Yes, yeah. St. Joe's. And um, so there was an anniversary all day seminar a handful of years ago, maybe 10 years ago. I was invited to speak. It led to an invitation to be the medical editor on a women's radio, uh, re women's talk show on talk radio 1210 WPHD. <laughs> so I did that for four years and I did a two minute segment every week. And on any topic I wanted, migraines, osteoporosis, screening. 
And in a minute and 59 seconds, I would have to paint a mental image of osteoporosis or whatever the topic, risk factors, current therapy, why you should be tested, and it's pretty a fast. Website. Well, <laughs> I grew up in Philadelphia. I speak quickly. Right. <laughs> so the station was getting such good feedback. They invited me to do my own show. Initially, asked me to do three hours with calls, and I said, mm, <laughs> "Let's let's go into this a little more gradually. I don't want right. to say anything like." meant the pink pill, not the blue pill. I right. do not look good in striped pajamas. So I had to learn how to be effective, efficient, working on that, and um, get messages out. Because I really believe, Mitch, and as you mentioned earlier, you're speaking as a patient. You shared that that's next on your docket. When I interview other doctors or researchers or patients, I'm wearing two hats. Yes, I'm a doctor, but I'm also a patient. And so when I ask somebody to come prepared for colonoscopy, I say NPO is Latin for nihil per oral, oral. <laughs> um, nothing by mouth, nothing. So when somebody comes in sipping a bottle of water, I have to either cancel or delay their test for a few hours because mm. if I put a scope in and that fluid comes up, they can aspirate, right. not good or sucking a peppermint or chewing gum. You're drinking your own saliva. They're the nuances that we try to highlight because anybody could do a show on a, a medical topic, right. heart disease. or. But I, I like to think that after more than 30 years of practice, I understand nuances. The old expression, what you don't know can't hurt you, not, not so. What you don't know can hurt you. And you don't know what you don't know. How um, how does our audience get to your show? Can you do? do you have, can we we can probably provide that information in our notes? Well, or you can see me walking up and down the streets of Philadelphia <laughs> with a sandwich board saying "Tune in on Saturdays at but five. But this is a global audience here we're listening to. So. Yes, yes, uh, we're very fortunate. There are five talk radio stations in the country that have fifty thousand watts. I had no idea what that meant, but we're one of them, so we're a big old voice. We air in over 30 states and live stream internationally. So I get emails from Finland, Iceland, none from Disneyland yet, but <laughs> you know, all right. the Lindvineland. Um, so it's really rewarding because after teaching students, residents, fellows for all these years, it's in me and I have to, I have to pursue it. That's, that's awesome. Dr. Ritchie, um, so as you know, AACR is really focused on cancer research and funding cancer research. Could you, from your perspective as a, um, as a doctor and as a mom and grandmom, can you tell our audience, or I'd love to get your perspective on why it's so important for people to invest in, in research and in cancer research? And this is probably the most important pivot of our conversation. Not because I'm trying to flatter you, because I think you're wonderful and I love it. Well, I appreciate Asa. that. <laughs> But because if we didn't learn the major jumbo lesson from COVID, we're asleep. When I was in training in New York City in the mid to late 80s, what was the big scare at the time? HIV, before it had a name. So I'm at Sloan Kettering, the oldest cancer center in the world. And we're doing endoscopy on these beautiful, healthy young men streaming in, dying of infections we couldn't cure. One in particular was a diarrhea. Sorry, folks, but this is science. They were just disintegrating from this infectious diarrhea. 
and it was my, one of my teachers and co-fellows who said, well, we biopsy parts of the bowel to look for bacteria or uh, infection. And the regular microscope wasn't picking it up, so they did biopsies under electron microscopy, found the bacterium, which is called Mycobacterium avium intracellulari, simple treatment with antibiotic, cured. It was the head of dermatology at Sloan Kettering who said, one of the lesions of HIV is a skin lesion. It's, it's almost like the scarlet letter. It's a red lesion mm-hmm. called Kaposi sarcoma. And he was interviewing patients and finding that the common thread was the lifestyle. And that's what led to saying, maybe HIV, one of the sources is sexual transmission, but blood, IV drugs, all those things came together. The point I'm trying to make is, we were scoping people, terrified of contracting whatever this infection, wearing spacesuits. What happened with COVID? We were terrified, surgery, endoscopist, we were in spacesuits. The difference was with HIV, I saw people really working together. This time, and maybe it's the technology that everybody wanted to be the guy who got the answer first and everybody's posting and opining. And I think that led to some clashing. Interesting. Because the whole purpose of research is to ask the questions. Right. We've cured 70% of people with the green pill. Let's see if adding the yellow pill will bring us to 80%. Right. Because if everybody, Mitch, if everybody in the room had thought the same thing, then maybe we're not thinking. We have to ask the questions. Which finds colon polyps or colon cancer at an early stage more readily? A barium enema or colonoscopy? Those poor people in the beginning, when Dr. Winnemore started this grand study at seven centers, a cancer center, community hospital, university, the people would have to get a barium enema and then a colonoscopy and say, well, we found one polyp on barium enema, but three on colonoscopy. And then we said, do we have to do this every year? And one parameter in the study would change and make the comparisons and learn and move on. And I think with research, it's a beautiful thing. If you don't ask questions and say, we're, in fact, there is the whole reason we dropped the screening age for CRC, makes it easier, colorectal cancer, to 45 is because we saw this increase, uh, a market increase in cases in African Americans who contracted at a younger age, it's more aggressive, 20% more likely to be diagnosed with it, 40% more likely to die from it. And by uh, 2018, 2019, no, a little bit later, by 2020, we saw that people who were born um, in the year 1990, by the time they reached age 30, were two times more likely to get colon, four times more likely to get rectal cancer than those who turned 30 who were born in 1970. And this was from research. Yeah. Right? So, So. I guess bottom line from go research, go research all the way, all the way. What's your future look like? What's next for you? Um, Well, I will tell you the radio can be a bit intimidating. Mm -hmm. You would agree. I don't know. I don't think I'd agree. I think you seem pretty darn natural to me. Well, um, you know what? Initially we would interview people in the studio and it feels like Hollywood, the the soundproof booths (laughs) and, and we're in this grand um, studio and all of our sound booths are KYW, B101, and I'm meeting all these giants of the, of the industry. Yes. 
And it's really humbling. I, I will say that's the other message. I think if you really want to be happy, you can't be happy unless you're grateful. And you cannot be grateful if you're not humble. And research teaches us that. Because you see, you have that. an idea, and you say, I want to see if I use hot water, if that will get my clothing cleaner than cold water, or whatever the, the simple question is. And you predict that the hot water is going to be stronger. And when the answer doesn't come out as you expected, you might have a little self-doubt, but it makes you eager to keep going. And I think in terms of myself, whether I save one life because a person gets screened or because they realize that heart disease isn't always chest pain, maybe you have nausea um, or osteoporosis, take myself. I am made of potato chips. I have broke more than 10 bones by the age of 40. Mm. That's a talent. <laughs> and, and I had been to the, all the specialists and take this med, do that med, lift weights. And then I finally said, gee whiz, my mother and four, and my four, I'm one of four sisters, of the five of us, half have strong bones, half don't. Could it be something we could test for that's hereditary? Went to an endocrine doctor who said, 24-hour urine, you should spill 150 units of calcium. Mine was 342. Because my kidneys say calcium, eh, not so much. Mm. So no matter whether I eat calcium pancakes and calcium sandwiches and calcium pills, my kidneys... Simple water pill, corrected, my bones have stabilized. That's the kind of information people need to know. And I think if people understand medical topics more clearly, it's not hard. It's just, you hand me blueprints, I'm not an architect. I haven't right. learned how to do it. If we explain things in clear detail to people, they'll be less frightened, more committed, and more likely to show up for that screen or the blood pressure check or wait. I mean... We talk, we hear all these, um, this information about obesity and alcohol. Obesity bumps the risk for 10, 12 cancers. Right. Smoking, it's not just your lungs we worry about. It bumps the risk for colorectal cancer, esophageal cancer, cervical cancer, right. on and on. And, and so even we talk about, sometimes I try to emphasize the difference in risk for men and women. Women who smoke are more are at higher risk of getting colorectal cancer at a younger age than men and more likely to die from it than men. So if a woman who's smoking hears that, they might say, there's another reason. There's another box to check. Ding, ding. Let's get that message out mm -hmm. to people, Switch right? to candy or bubblegum cigarettes. Right. I'll buy them for you. <laughs> right. Well, I, I have to tell you, this has been a, a joy for me to sit here and have this conversation with you. Um, your patients uh, must... Uh, they must love you, and, and with the, I love your energy, your passion, uh, your your intellect. You are you're a, a gem here in our great city of Philadelphia, and I think again, um, I feel so fortunate to have had this opportunity to meet you and talk to you, and and our audience as well will will I think feel the same thing when they when they listen and see this uh, particular uh, episode of this podcast. So I just want to say thank you so much and congratulations. And more importantly, thank you for um, for giving back and helping so many people in our society. And and your, even your words of wisdom about 
you know, attitude and how to affect things uh, really, um, you know, uh, mean a lot to me and things I'll, I'll take away from this podcast and, and try to implement in my own life. So, so Dr. Ritchie, uh, on behalf of uh, uh, the 54,000 members of the AACR, we're, uh, we're really, really uh, fortunate that you've decided to come here today and, and spend a few minutes with us. Well, thanks, Mitch. You've made this very easy, even though I do radio when you asked the show is called Your Radio Doctor. Yep. Saturdays at five o'clock, and people can listen on their car radio. Who has radio in their home? Uh, <laughs> but you can listen on any device, laptop, your Apple Watch. Okay. Um, by going to odyssey.com, A U D A C Y. And, and we just want to share the message to get people to their checkups. We will yes. absolutely promote that and make sure the audience is aware of that. And um, I urge everybody out there that's uh, listening and watching this podcast, go go to Odyssey and let's, uh, let's listen to what Dr. Richie has to say. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Hope you have a great day. Thank you to you too much. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, thank you to our listeners, supporters, and donors. Remember, your support drives the progress against cancer. Once again, please consider subscribing to our podcast, sharing this episode with a friend, and heading over to our website, aacr.org, to consider making a donation. Thank you for listening to Believe in Progress, the AACR Foundation podcast. This podcast is produced by CollegeCast, LLC. Please visit www.collegecastpodcast.com for more information. And remember, cancer research saves lives. Thank you.